Speaking of disabilities, I felt like this is what I need to share with you <laughs> this morning. I, it seems like every time I come up here, I speak about disabilities. But I thought there'd be some really important truths that we could learn from the scriptures about disabilities this morning. Eight specific truths that I hope will encourage your hearts and just get an overall view of what the scripture really has to say about those with disabilities. Um, number one, and I think we always have to start out with this one. Number one, God is sovereign. You, we have to understand his sovereignty in all these things. Um, I get calls from parents all the time that have a, found out they're going to have a disabled child. And so what I do is some of the things I'm going to share with you here this morning, I share to them just to try to encourage them. There's no simple answer here, but I try to get their focus on God, on God's goodness and on who he is. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about this morning. So God is sovereign. He's in control. He does whatever he pleases. You know, we all can understand his love and wisdom, I think, but it's difficult to grasp his sovereignty. We can't put our arms around this, his sovereignty. He's in control and we can trust him. And you know, his love is infinite, his power is, is, uh, is endless, but his sovereignty is something, again, that we struggle with. And I'm, by the way, forgive me, I'm going to have you all over the Bible this morning, so get your fingers ready. We're going to be going all over the scriptures this morning. This is Lamentations 3, 37 to 38 first. Lamentations 3, and I'm sure many of you may be familiar with this verse. Lamentations 3, 37 to 38. says here, who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? God is sovereign over good and ill. And that's where we can struggle sometimes. He is sovereign over both good and ill. Job 42.2 says, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We can be encouraged by that, that we can trust in a God who is sovereign. And as we go through our difficult times, our trials, difficulties that we might be experiencing, pain, sufferings, loss of a loved one, let alone living in this crazy world that we're living in right now, none of this can happen unless God has first decreed it. That's where we can scratch our heads sometimes. Why would God want to decree this? Well, he decrees it for our own good. He decrees it for our own good. So not only is God sovereign over the willful, relevant acts of people, but also the mistakes and failures of people. Did a driver go through a red light and strike your car and send you to the hospital with multiple fractures? Did a physician detect your cancer in early stages where it could have been treatable? Did you end up with an incompetent instructor, maybe in a course in college or an F supervisor? Did you lose your job? Did you lose your spouse or loved one? All these circumstances are under the controlling hand of a sovereign God who is working them out in our lives for what? For good. Nothing is too small or trivial to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is too great beyond his power and control. Even the insignificant sparrow that falls on the ground, that we would think, does God know that too? Yes, he does. Or the mighty Roman Empire, who crucified Christ on the cross. God also was sovereign over all of that, over Christ's death. So what is true of the sparrow and what is true of Jesus is also for you and me. No detail in our lives goes past our Heavenly Father's attention. What's really interesting, turn to Daniel 4.35. I always really enjoy this particular section of Daniel where we've got a proud king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
a very proud king. And he's boasting about all these great things that he's done. And right in the middle of his speech, God interrupts him. Here, Daniel 4.35. He says here, and we'll go back a little bit here but just to get the context. It says in verse 20, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of a royal palace of Babylon. The, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great which I myself built as a royal residence by the mighty power and by my power and the glory of my majesty? While the word was in his mouth, while he was speaking, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you as declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize the most high is ruler of all the realm of mankind. So he knocks Nebuchadnezzar right on his feet on, his, on the ground here to eat the, eat the grass with the cattle. But as we go further up here into verse 35 though, we see an amazing thing happening in Nebuchadnezzar. He's a changed man. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Well, Nebuchadnezzar's eyes has opened up to the truth. He understands that there is a sovereign God that's in control of everything. You don't have to turn here, but Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in heaven, he does what he pleases. Isaiah 43, 13 says, Even from turning, I am he. There's no one who can deliver you out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? So this is a crucial. This is a foundation for us in our lives, especially in the world we live today, the uncertainties that we see in our world, that we understand that there is a sovereign God that's in control. It may not make sense to us, but he is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. All right, number two. Every human being is created in God's image for his purpose and therefore is of measurable value. I'm sure you remember Exodus 4.11. Moses was talking to God and saying that I can't speak. I don't, I, you know, I'm just, that's not my gift. And uh, so he answers here in verse 11 here of Exodus 4. It says here, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is not I the Lord? So if God takes credit for creating people that are deaf, he has good reasons for it. And if God creates people that are deaf, then we also know he creates those with other disabilities. Other disabilities. You know, sadly to say for decades, the abortion rights and death without dignity have used the quality of life to advance their agenda. But you know what's interesting? God makes a distinction between quality of life and life itself. Every human life, whether typical or disabled, is valuable in the eyes of God, the creator. And one of the beauties of disability is that it challenges us to measure our value of human life because we are all created uniquely in his own image. And that is also includes those with disabilities. You know, I was just reading statistics. Once in a while, I check the statistics on disabilities. And this is an amazing statistic that just blows me away. They say 60 to 90% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. 60 to 90% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. And you know, one of the greatest blessings for me to serve in this ministry is our Down syndrome people. They are such a joy. They're so loving. 
I don't know if you remember, I baptized a Down syndrome boy last year here, uh, Brenton, sweetest guy. And then there was David Kuzmitz. I don't know if any of you that maybe remember David Kuzmitz at our church here. He went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. He would, Sunday mornings was his time to minister to us. He would walk around the worship center and hug people. That was his ministry. And he, I didn't realize how many lives he had touched until a memorial service that they had for him. The chapel was packed out with people sharing their testimonies of David, how much he, he was such a joy in their lives. God doesn't make a mistake when he creates these special people. Let's turn to Psalm 139 real quickly as we talk about God's amazing creation. Psalm 139. If you ever talk to a person that's pro-abortion, have them read this section of the Psalms and then have them come back to you for questions. Psalm 139, 13 to 17. This is David speaking about God's amazing creation, how he created us. And that is a miracle. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. You you give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden, not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my uninformed stunts and in your book, were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none, one of, not one of them. How precious are you, your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? God providentially watched over the development of chi- children that are born in the mother's womb. In fact, the womb is God's art studio, created and governed by him. The human reproductive process from conception to birth in the life-sitting environment of the womb must be guarded at the utmost care. Nothing must be done to harm that. The womb is where God performs his glorious creative work, crafting human beings, and not two of, two of them are exactly alike or the same. You don't have to turn here, but Psalm 71, 5 to 6 says, For you are my hope, my Lord, my God. You are my confidence for my youth, but you have sustained me from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. The unborn human life is an untold potential to praise God to. Even the cry of an infant is a tribute to God. It's a miracle. God is in the business of doing miracles, and the ultimate miracle is how we came into this world, his creation. Sadly to say, we live in a world that just doesn't see that. It doesn't see the importance, the fact that we are all created in his image, specially created his image for a purpose. And disabled people are no different. Number three, number three, God's ways are always good, wise, and loving. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we are going through a difficult time, we will question God. We might not understand that he has the best interests for us through times that are, can be confusing and difficult. We may doubt his love. And I don't think any human will be able to completely comprehend the full extent of God's goodness and grace in our lives. In fact, really, I think the time that we really understand God's grace in our lives and his goodness is when we go through a trial. That's when we really can get a grasp of his grace and his mercy and his love towards us. John MacArthur says here that God's goodness is that he is the perfect sum, source, and standard of that which is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beauty, beautiful. God has never stopped being good, but sometimes we stop 
being grateful and thankful. The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we can even comprehend. Just a couple of verses here that look at in Psalm, Psalm 145, uh, 17. Psalm 145, 17. This whole psalm is on God's goodness. It's a great psalm to, to read in the morning. Maybe you start your day off if you need to be encouraged. The psalm of David. But in verse 17, he says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in his deeds. And kind in his deeds. And then just go a little bit back to Psalm 119, 68. Psalm 119, 68. It says here, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. This is God's character, his goodness. He goes on in this psalm to talk about God's faithfulness, his compassion, his righteousness, his mercy. But here we're talking about his goodness. He's a good God. Psalm, you don't have to turn here, 111 verse 4 says that he is a gracious gracious and compassionate God. And we see gracious and compassionate all through the psalms, all through the psalms. How is he gracious and compassionate to us? Did we get up and have food this morning? Do we have a roof over our head? Are we able to come to church today? Do we have clothes to wear? He is a gracious God who takes care of us. And we can be thankful for that. David in Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I think, turn to Romans 8. This really describes God's love and graciousness to us. Romans 8, and I'm sure you're familiar with this section of the Bible, 31 to 39. I just can't not skip over this without reading it. When you're going through a difficult time, and and when we go through struggles, sometimes we think that God is not there, right? That he's turned his back on us, or maybe he's he's distance, he's a a long distance away from us. Go to read Romans 8, 31 to 39, just to encourage your heart. Romans 8, verse 31, 31 here. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, all, all how he will not also be freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for sake, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, we overlearly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no heart, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is incredible. Nothing can separate us from his love. Even when we sin and blow it, nothing can separate us from the love. That is so important to grasp that. And just to drive home this point of God's kindness and his love, Romans 2, 4 says, the kindness of the Lord leads you to repentance. His kindness and grace is what saved us. That's why we are believers, because of his kindness, his graciousness, his goodness, and his forgiveness. So we have much to be thankful for. Number four, so, so far we've seen God is sovereign, We've seen every human being is created in his image for a purpose. Number three, we say God's ways are loving, good, wise, and kind. Number four, and I get a lot of calls on this one too. 
God is not using special needs children to punish us for our sin. God is not using special needs children to punish us for our sin. I get calls from parents that think that the reason they have a disabled child is because they did something wrong. There's guilt there. They think that they must have blown it or done something wrong, and now they've got this disabled child. Now, we're all sinners. Let's face it. We're all sinners. Yeah, we do blow it. But this is not right theology to say that I must have done something in the past that's caused this. Turn to John verse chapter 9. The disciples are struggling with this. There's a blind man that's come by them. John 9 verse 1 to 3. They see this blind man coming up. Jesus is there. And in verse 2, the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And that was very common in those days. A lot of the uh, Jews felt that if you were disabled, it was because of something the parents did wrong. That was very common. But as Jesus answers them here in verse 3, he says, It was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but it was the works of God that might be displayed in him. That's a profound statement. The works of a God might be displayed in him. And the disciples are scratching their head. They, they're not getting it. They're just saying, wait a minute here. No, what's, what, there's got to be a reason why this person's blind. Something, somebody blew, blew it here somewhere. Somebody had to, to do something bad. And Jesus is saying, no, God is going to use this disabled person for his own works for what he wants to do. He has a purpose for disabled people to come into this world. I really strongly believe that. There is a purpose for a disabled child, and God is going to use that child. And I tell you, I've, I've had the blessing to talk to parents who've been raising a disabled child for 40 years, and the child is still at home. The child's never going to be able to leave the house, but they have told me this is the greatest blessing in my life. This child has been the greatest blessing in my life. Yeah, it's been difficult for them, but they all tell me that. I don't, even, I don't even have to bring it out of them. They just come out and say, this child is a, is a tremendous blessing. So, go, so clearly the governing force behind man's disability was not one person's sin, but clearly the larger agenda is for God to display his works and glory and his grace. That's the fundamental purpose of disability is to draw attention to God. Physical and intellectual disabilities are God-ordained means of displaying his wisdom and his power. And I, again, these parents will tell me, what drew me close to the Lord was this child. What, this child. Just a, a funny story here. Turn to Luke 16, Luke 18, rather. This is kind of a funny story in a way. Luke 18. And I have experienced this. There's a blind man. Uh, verse 35, we're going to go. Luke 18, 35 to 42. There's a blind man on the roadside. He knows that Jesus is going to be coming through this particular part of the city. So he plants himself on the, on the, there, waiting for Jesus to come by. So it says here in verse 35, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a, gra- a crowd going by, he began to inquire, what was this? They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Kind of obnoxious. He might have been yelling it out real loud and maybe was sounding obnoxious. What does the disciples do here? Verse 38, he called out saying, Jesus, son of David. He said it twice. In fact, those who led, led the way were, the, this is the disciples in verse 39. Those who were led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. Shut this guy up. 
he's obnoxious and he's, he's, making, he's making us angry here. But what does Jesus do? They want Jesus to keep moving on. They want Jesus to walk. Forget this guy. He's obnoxious. He's loud. No, Jesus stops there, it says here in verse 40. And he commands them to bring this man to them. And then he says in verse 41, what do you want me to do? He says, Lord, I want you to regain my sight. He says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you very well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. When all the people saw it, they were giving praise to God. This is how the world treats those with disabilities. I was going to tell a funny story. We, we, had a, we have summer camps. We haven't had them in a couple of years because of the pandemic. One time, we, we take our kids into McDonald's sometimes. We'll have about maybe 14 disabled kids. We'll go in there for lunch. One time we were going into McDonald's to, for lunch and half the people just left, spread out about 15, 20 feet away from us like we had the plague. Because <laughs> you know, in defense, they'd never seen that many disabled people together at once. But it's like, I felt like we all felt like we had the plague. And, it was just, I, and I got a chance to experience what disabled people go through, what they have to go through. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata stated one time that she, would go, she goes into markets sometimes and people, they think she's deaf and dumb. She's in a wheelchair. They, they just assume that she can't talk and she, her brain doesn't work. And she goes, I feel like I'm being treated like I'm an invalid, you know, really uh, a dumb, deaf and dumb person. A lot of it is just that, you know, people just don't understand. They don't understand. But anyway, God is, is a good God. And the special needs, he uses them for a purpose. Number five. Number five, God uses physical and mental disabilities to remind us of the greatest discipline that we all have, that we're all spiritually disabled. All of us are spiritually disabled. It's a good reminder for us. Disability reminds us that every one of us is spiritually helpless, unable to come to God our own, but by the grace of God, we come to Jesus. We're all spiritually blind. We're deaf to the truth. We're cognitively disabled. And it's because we've all been negatively affected by the fall. We're all, we're all broken. I tell people, you know, all of us are broken, but disabled people, it's just more visible. We hide our brokenness, don't we? But disabled people, you can see it. The brokenness is right there. They're right. They, they, they're very honest. They, they wear their hearts on their sleeve. And I, can, I have so many funny stories about that I could share. But um, one saw real quickly. We were, in a, uh, we were up in Solvang at one of our camps, and we went into a store, and one of our disabled persons, he's a, he's a believer. And he goes in there, and he starts yelling, do you people know Jesus? Where? Come on, Jesus. We're going to get kicked out of here. But these people wear their hearts on their sleeves. And, and you know what? You love them. Sometimes they can drive you nuts, but they love, you love them too. You love them. So... Uh, we are, you know, we haven't met for, um, we really haven't had most of our people here for the last three years because of the pandemic. And recently, I went to, uh, I, I go to the meetings. They have meetings once every couple months. And they asked me to go to these meetings with all the directors. So I don't know why. I think maybe it looks good that I'm a pastor and I'm there. I, I don't say anything. I don't do anything. But recently, uh, we've been trying to get our Tuesday night program started up again called Grace Club. So I'm in this meeting, and, and they have sometimes some of the disabled people will be in the meeting. Well, this girl was in the meeting, happened to be in the meeting that day that knows me for many years. And in the middle of the meeting, she goes, there's Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick. When are we going to have Grace Club again? Let's get Grace Club going. And the directors are looking around like going, and she was the greatest promoter for this ministry. I've been trying to get them back here at church for years. 
And I had a chance to share about Grace Club with them because of this disabled guy. It was such a great, so funny. That's, that's, they're just a joy. They're just a joy. Anyway, so um, again, our problem is, though, we are all broken and spiritually dead. And that's the issue with us. And that's where we can really relate with these people. All right, number six. I'm going to be running out of time here soon. Number six. And this is important. This really, really is important for all of us to know here. God is gracious, and his grace is sufficient for any trial that we go through. I hope that we can, you can grasp this. When we are weak, what? He is strong. When we are weak, he is strong. He displays his power through our weakness. We are blessed to have his power through the Holy Spirit. And that when we are weak, he, he does amazing things in our weakness. That's, I think, when he really does a lot of teaching. That's where we can grow. Johnny Erickson Tata shared a story that I, I wanted to share with you about a cerebral palsy young lady. She goes here. It was a talent night at one of our Johnny and Friends family retreats. And Cindy, a young woman with severe cerebral palsy, was the last one scheduled to perform. Now, Cindy's mother pushed her daughter in the wheelchair out to perform to the platform to perform. Cindy, she told us, has been working hard all week with her favorite song, Amazing Grace. Well, several of us look at each other saying, well, we all love Cindy, but how is she going to do this? She can't speak. She's disabled. Well, then her mother walked off stage and left Cindy alone on the stage. The young woman laboriously stretched out her twisted fingers and pushed a button on her communication device and attached her chair. And out came the monotone of a computerized voice. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As the robotic voice continued the hymn, Cindy turned her head to the face the audience and with enormous effort began to mouth all the words as best as she could. What's more, her smile lit up the entire place. It was a performance that an opera star or recording artist would envy. To be honest, I'd never seen anything quite like it. Amazing Grace became a new song to me, but that night it was sung in an entirely different way. And although Cindy wasn't able to sing the words with her vocal cords, something happened as she leaned hard on Jesus and mouthed these words. I can't explain how, but somehow it rose up to that auditorium in a ringing hymn of praise to God. It was though Cindy's song was backed by an 80-piece orchestra. I can imagine angels leaning over the edge of heaven, filled with wonder to catch every word. It's a great story. God really is amazing. He shows his power in these people in unique ways. Johnny Erickson Todd is a great example, right, of someone that the Lord has used. But anyway, as far as our trials go, though, the difficulties we have, I think it's important that we look at 2 Corinthians 12, and I'm sure you're familiar with this verse about Paul getting a thorn in the flesh. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Paul had an amazing experience. It says here in verse 3 and 4 of of 2 Corinthians 12. He goes, And I know such a man, whether by the body or apart from my body, I don't know. God knows. I was caught up into the paradise and heard inexpressible words, which as man is not permitted to speak. He had an, an amazing experience. Whether his spirit went to heaven, we're not quite sure. But he had a, whether he was a vision, he was caught up temporarily in heaven or, but he was hesitant to share this because his accusers he knew were going to attack him. His enemies were the so-called super apostles, they called themselves, who claimed that they were better than him and, they, and he was inferior. 
And they also would criticize him all the time. But Paul felt it was necessary not to say much about his experience. Even though he was caught up in this place, it was beyond human understanding. He decided not to say anything. But God was going to use this, though, to humble him. And in verse 7 here, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations of this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. We don't know what that thorn is. Some people think that he um, had just a, a demonic person that was oppressing him. Maybe it was the, the Corinthians that didn't like him were attacking him. Others say that might have been some kind of disability. But whatever it is here, he implores, verse 8, he says, I implore three times that this might leave me. He didn't want to deal with this, whatever it may be. But God had a plan here. God had a reason for all this. And in verse 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What an amazing testimony of how God used this to wake him up and to see that I will give you the grace and the strength to get through this. And then in verse 10, he really drives this point home. He says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses and persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. I hope that's our prayer. We go through a difficult time. That no matter what difficulties that we go through in our life, that we can say, you know what? For Christ's sake, when I am weak, I am strong. He will give me the strength and the grace to deal with whatever this trial is. All right, we're moving our way through here. Let's go to point number seven. Point number seven here. This is really important. This is really drives home why we have our ministry here at Grace Community Church. Obviously, we, God has redeemed us as a community here. We're a family here. We're a community here at Grace Community Church, and that's an amazing thing. And I think we all realize the importance of that during the pandemic, how we felt the importance of leading our, having our church stay open. We need each other. We need that kind of fellowship. But those with disabilities especially need to be a part of the church. In fact, they're an indispensable part of our church. And I'm not just saying that here. This is what the scriptures say. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a great section where it talks about the church, the body of Christ. He uses metaphors of the human body, but we're talking about the church here and the different gifts that we all have. We all are gifted differently. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm just going to go through this quickly, but I want to drive home a little bit later in this chapter about how the, the disabled community are to look in, this, in our church. But he talks about the body, he says, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, there's bodies one and yet many members, all the members of the body though are, are many, are one body. And then he goes, talks in verse, let's go to verse 12 to 14, he says here, um, by the Spirit, we're all baptized into one body. With other Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we're all made to drink of the Spirit. For the body is not one member of many. If the foot says, because I'm a hand, not a hand, I'm not part of the body, is it not for this reason or any less part of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is that not for reason for any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would it be, would be hearing? If the whole hearing would be the sense of smell? What is, what's he saying here? We're all gifted differently, but sometimes people get jealous. How come I don't have that gift? How come he's got that gift and I don't have that gift? You know, I don't, I've, 
I, I, I want that gift. I want the eye. I want the, I want the, now, I don't want that gift. I want something else. And we can complain sometimes about the gifts that we do have. And then we go, let's go to verse 15 and following here. I'm sorry, verse, um, we'll go a little bit further. We'll go to verse 18. It says here, but now God has placed the members, each one in the body, just as he desired. If there were all one member, they could be body B. Now there are many members of the body. And I can say to the hand, I have no need of you, or, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But the problem is we need the eye and we, do, we need the hand. How do we put our glasses on if we can't see, if we don't have a hand? How about I have something in my eye that needs to be, I need to take out with my hand? So, and what he's saying is every, every gift is important in the body of Christ. Everyone has a part in this body. And there's no lesser gifts or there's no greater gifts. They're all on the level because on the foot of the cross. But now he gets into the, the, the weaker members of the body. That's what I really want to get into here. The ones that maybe are not quite known, the weaker members. Let's look here. Verse 23. And those members of the body which deem less honorable on those who bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members being much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members, how of God has to compose the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacks so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Here he's really talking about the weaker members, and I would definitely say those are those in the church that have disabilities or other kind of issues. But this is a great reminder that we believe the weak members of the body are important and indispensable. We see disability members not as separate members, but a normal opportunity for the outworking of biblical love in our family of God. We embrace human weakness in this church. We should. as a way, It's a working out of God's strength and grace. We see disability as a way whereby... Self is dethroned in our hearts, in our churches, we, as we practice selfless love towards one another and not be comparing what gifts or what you have and what other gifts people have. This is a great opportunity as a church, and this is why we've had this ministry. We want to have these people should be involved in our church. You know, some of them serve in the Shepherds Conference. But this is a great opportunity for us to come together as a body to encourage one another, especially those that are the weaker members. And it says in verse 26 here, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if one member is honored, all the members are honored. We want to be mindful of that. We should be sensitive to those that are hurting, yes, in our church. Those that are suffering, we should be sensitive to those kind of people. You know, Romans 15 tells us that we should rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. This is our community here. And I think that's what we've been trying to practice here for years of, of being, giving opportunities for those with disabilities to be involved in here. We have, we have classes for them. I know some t- somebody came up to me one time and, you know, and said, what in the world do you guys do with these people? And I'm not faulting him. I felt the same way. I, what do we do with these disabled people that are here on campus? We do the same thing in any other ministry. We share the gospel to them. We have worship time with them. We teach the word of God to them. It's no different. It's no different. As far as they, whether they understand it or not, we don't worry about that. We're just faithful to give them the, the truth from God's word and leave it up to God. And I think Brenton was a great example of that, uh, who I baptized last year. 
He understood. He got it. He understood the gospel. He was a great, great example that they, there's a lot more to them than, than we realize. There's a lot more to them than we realize. Yet we want to be faithful to love and serve these people. Lastly here, lastly here, number eight. So we've looked at God as sovereign. We've looked at every human being as created in God's image for a purpose. Three, we, God's ways are loving, good, and wise, and loving. Number four, God uses special needs, does not use special needs children to punish us because of our sin. Number five, God uses physical and mental disabilities to remind us that we're all spiritually disabled. Number six, God's grace is sufficient for any trial. Number seven, those with disabilities are an indispensable part of our church. Lastly here, and this, really, this is really, we all can relate to this. Suffering causes us to look forward to heaven. Suffering looks, look, causes us to look forward to heaven. And you know the person in my life that I have known for years that talks about heaven all the time is Johnny Erickson Tata. If you're around her, she's going to talk about heaven. This is what gets her out of bed every day, that she knows that life is short compared to eternity. This is what gets her moving and motivated every day. Let's turn to Romans 8 as we finish up here. Romans 8. Specifically, verse 18. And then we're going to look at one other verse. Romans 8, 18. This is a good verse for you to memorize. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. This looks forward to our resurrection bodies, our time being with the Lord in heaven. When compared to eternity, the present creator who who became our Savior, all suffering and disability in this life will be very visible. Will be very visible. Whatever reason, whatever difficulties we have, the future is something we look forward to. The future. And, and 2 Corinthians 4.17 really drives this point home. 2 Corinthians 4.17 really drives this home. Paul is speaking here. He says, for a momentary light affliction is producing us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. John says here, when he talks about momentary light affliction, is a weightless triple affliction. First to intense pressure from a human perspective. Paul's own testimony lists a seemingly unbearable litany of sufferings and persecutions he endured throughout his life. Yet he viewed them as, as weightless and lasting only for a brief moment. Eternal weight of glory is talking about verse, verse 2. The future. Understood that someday we're going to be in a place where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. And for all that we experience now, it doesn't compare to what, the, our, what heaven looks like. It doesn't compare to our future glory. The weight of glory, he says here, exceeds all limits. Whether suffering comes from uh, terrible illnesses or whatever it may be, Trials and disease and poverty, everything that we have to experience in this world. Nothing compares to the eternal weight of glory that we wait for in heaven. Yes, this world is passing away. Second Corinthians 4.18 tells us this world is passing away. First John 2.17 says the world is passing away and it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. We are going to live forever. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20-21 says. Colossians 3.2 says to set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. We need to have our focus on the right things, on, on eternal things. 
And as Paul said, what got him through, Paul was beaten, he was threatened, he was struck down, he was destroyed, he was put in prison. But he said here, I was never crushed. God always gave me the strength to get through. And he talked much about the struggle he had. He wanted to go to heaven. He says, I would rather be in heaven right now, but I want to be faithful to the Lord right now. And God will give me the strength. In closing, I want to just share a quick story here about Fanny Crosby. We sang one of her hymns this morning. She wrote over 6,000 gospel songs, if you can believe that. And she was blind at the age of six weeks. She came to know the Lord at a young age, and she was never bitter, always joyful. And a preacher comes up one time and said, Fanny, I, I think it's a great pity that your master gave you no sight when he showered you with so many other gifts. How, why would he not give you sight? And why is it that you're so joyful all the time? Well, she probably quickly, quickly that, do you know that if at birth I'd been able to make one petition, it would have been that I'd been born blind. He goes, say that again? You, want, you, want, you pray that you want to be born blind? She goes, yes, because when I get to heaven, the first face that will ever gladden my sight will battle my Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, one time she had a chance to speak at the DL, a great conference in uh, Chicago with D.L. Moody, the great D.L. Moody. And he asked her to give her testimony. Well, she first hesitated, then she quickly rose and said, well, there's a, there's a song I've written. Sometimes when I'm troubled, I repeat it to myself or it brings comfort and joy to my heart. Then she began to recite the song, and it goes like this. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more shall sing, but all the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace. At the age of 95, she passed away into glory, and the first face that gladdened her sight was at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a tremendous testimony. Let's pray. Father, I know I've given a lot of stuff here this morning, a lot of information here, but I I pray at the end of the day, Lord, what we're really looking at here is Yes, there are. we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a broken world. We're all broken. All of us are. We all have our, we all have our struggles, whether it's physical, emotional, uh, circumstances in our lives, whatever it may be, we're all struggling. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have a great God, Lord. We have a good God. He is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He's a loving and gracious and kind God. And he, he allows things to happen in our eyes for a reason, Romans eight twenty eight, all for good. And his grace is sufficient to get us through anything we go through, Lord, anything that we go through. But at the end of the day, Lord, what really gets us through the day is to know that someday we're going to be in heaven with you. Encourage our hearts here this morning, Lord. I just pray that we realize that life is short. The Bible says it's short. Sometimes it seems like it may be long, but those of us that are older like me would realize life is short. It flies by. Compared to eternity, where we're going to be with you in a place where the Bible says there's no more pain, No more suffering, no more death, and we're in the presence of our Lord. And as Fanny Crosby said, that's the right focus to have. As Johnny Erickson says, this is where our focus needs to be. Help us to have that right focus, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.